0: Welcome back to Box to Box TV. I'm Alex Ivaceta, your host and I'm joined today with Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdul Abdullah to talk and analyze the Women's Champions League quarterfinal and semifinal draws. How excited are you two after you saw this draw?
1: We are hyped. I feel like Champion the Champions League, Women's Champions League, only really gets good when we get to this point, you know? But Yeah, now this, it's this get is when you see really the more good. even
0: ties. Yeah, I think this yeah, is the exactly. best one. This is the best one that's gonna be in forever. Um so in summary, Chelsea drew Wolfsburg and the winner will face either Bayern Munich or Rosengarten in the semifinal. <laughs> and on the other half, we have Lyon will take the winner of PSG versus Sparta Praha which it does seem like PSG will go ahead for that one and will unluckily have to face Lyon yet again. And the winner of that quarterfinal will face either Manchester City or Barcelona in the semifinals. (laughs) Now, we're just going to get started because we all have so much to say. So we'll start with the tastiest match of the quarterfinal draw, Manchester City versus Barcelona. Two teams playing arguably the best football that, that they've played in years. And they're going up against each other in a tournament where they're both trying to prove themselves Barcelona are obviously still salty about that 4-1 Lyon loss in the final, and Manchester City haven't really made it past the round of 16, I think, for three years now. Obviously, two of the last years, they've been kicked out by Atletico Madrid, so luckily for them, they're already out of the tournament. Um, But Jesse, what did you think of this matchup when you saw it?
1: Yeah, I think this is definitely the most intriguing matchup on the face of it. I think particularly because it feels like both of these teams are clearly very, very good, but we haven't really seen either of them super tested yet. You know, Manchester City obviously had quite a slow start to the season here in England. You know, as Gareth Taylor kind of came to the role, but now it feels like they're really moving forward. But, you know, again, have we seen them properly tested and kind of similarly Barcelona are so far ahead in Spain? You know, I I know there have been like losses in like COP competitions and stuff like that. But again, it just feels like this is two teams where it's so hard to judge what the outcome is going to be.
0: Abdullah, obviously the tactics of this match is going to be so good to watch. I mean, both teams are, especially Barcelona, they're they're very tactically, I, I would say they have a tactical advantage when it comes to Manchester City because they have a style of play that is very different. But also Manchester City this season has, under Gareth Taylor, I think has introduced them to a lot more technical aspect of their game, which I do find quite interesting. And Abdullah, what are your, I mean, how excited are you to watch this matchup?
2: I mean, first of all, I just like every single draw is amazing. This one, I mean, I totally agree with you from a tactical level. I almost think that this is the best tie of the round from a tactical point of view, just because both teams play at such a high level from both a tactical and technical point of view. I mean, while while Garrett, like you said, Garrett Taylor has brought in this technical aspect to this team. Let's not forget Barcelona as a club, as a DNA, and especially with the women's team, they're, they've got such technical players that you, you, you can look at anywhere across the pitch and you're like, you know, every single player could do something. From a tactical point of view, it's intriguing because, I mean, if you look at the way Barcelona have played this season, they have absolutely dominated pretty much 95% of the games that they've played. I mean, if I look at the stats... 71, they've averaged 71% possession this this season in all competitions, and their opponents are up 28-29%. That's an unbelievable stat, considering you're already over halfway through the season, and you're averaging 70% possession. You've just got the ball all the time. What are you supposed to do as an opposition when you just don't have the ball? You pretty much play a low block, you know, four or five defenders at the back, and you kind of just hope and pray you can sneak the ball away and counterattack. But even that's extremely difficult when you've got a midfield of, you know, Alexei Pizlas and 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 the rest, I mean, if I just look at their, even if I look at their XG and goals that they've had, they've got an XG of 4.51 and goals of 4.86. They're outplaying their XG. I mean, that in itself has to show you how efficient they are, how clinical they are from an attacking perspective. But, 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 but this will probably be one of their biggest tests of the season yet just because Manchester City have been playing some great football I've been impressed with them over the last couple of weeks I know on the first episode I kind of went off on on Taylor and 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 the way they the way they play and the way he's done it but I have been impressed with the way they've been playing in the last couple of weeks I think it's going to be a tough task coming up against you know a back four of and i think this is where dalkempern and you know Steph Houghton will play at center back and then he'll revert to alex greenwood and lucy bronze in the wider areas and i think coming up against a solid back line of those four and and whether he plays kira walsh or laura koons uh, as the as the you know number 6 will will depend but i think from from a tactical perspective i think the two teams ma- uh, mash up well and i think city are better out of possession and Barcelona, just because they've done it a lot more, and I think their counterattacking potential with Lauren Ham, Ellen White, you know, even Janine Becky, if he decides to play her right, you know, he could he could decide to you know put Janine Becky up against um, Lele Uchabi and and then have that and have that battle, let her the left back sit back and then use the pace in behind. You know, to to kind of cut in and, and cross. So I, I think there's 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 battles all over this pitch. You can even get a Lucy Bronze overlapping and, and creating space on that side. So to me there's there's battles everywhere. I'm excited. I don't know who's gonna win this, but it's gonna be great.
0: Definitely. And as you know, you know, Barcelona are playing arguably the best football that they have played in quite a few years. I mean, at the moment they're 18 for 18 games in the league there are six points on top of the league with four games in hand so there's i mean in the league there's absolutely no stopping them and their last four matches they've scored 14 goals and conceded none i mean when you look at the league form they're they're absolutely fine, you know, against Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Levante. Like, no one's able to stop them. And, of course, Atletico Madrid did beat them in the semifinal of the Supercopa. But that was a bit of a... It was an interesting match. It was very much Atleti kind of holding back and then just carrying the tie on. And Barcelona were unable to, to kind of go through that. But they're playing amazing and if you watch them play it is just it's beautiful that's it it's just it's beautiful to watch them play and i think in my personal opinion they have the best midfield trio in women's football right now and interestingly enough i do think manchester city have the second best midfield trio at the moment so i think in a midfield point of view it is it's it's a beautiful game of football when you have alexia putellas patrick grijaro and aitana bonmati they play so well together. And Patri and Aitana are both under 23 players. I mean, these players are just starting out. But the three of them have grown up in Barcelona. So they're all La Masia graduates. They all play the same style of play. They've all seen Iniesta when they grow up. They all—they also, you know, the the amazing tiki-taka Barcelona growing up. So they all have that mindset and it's absolutely stunning to see. And, and you just see them inter- interchanging positions with the wingers, with Lique Martins, with Mariona, with Jenny Hermoso. The way that Barcelona plays from the midfield and with their strikers is so nice to see. And then you have Manchester City that has Kira Walsh, arguably one of the best sixes in women's football. Then you have Caroline Weir who is playing some football of her career at the moment. And then you have Sam Mewis, which these two midfield trios, arguably one of the best in women's football at the moment. Jesse, what do you think of this?
1: Yeah, Alex, I think you're right to suggest that the midfield trios is going to be a really fascinating battle because they do feel very you know, evenly matched. I do just wonder whether Man City will have the edge defensively, kind of like what Abdullah said. You know, this this game, exact game, feels like the reason they brought in a player like Abidal Kemper, someone who's defended against the best strikers in the world and come out on top. And I do just wonder whether that will give... Man City that extra ability, that extra confidence, you know, and belief that that they can get this over the line. You know, I think Gareth Taylor's talked a lot about what it means to have winners, in inverted commas, like Mewis, like Dal Kemper. But I do think that that could be really, really key for them. But also at the same time, I think if Barcelona can nullify that Man City midfield, we've seen how effective that can be. You know, when Chelsea beat Man City... earlier in the season that was basically like they just had Aaron Cuthbert like as the destroyer in midfield like breaking up the play stopping Lucy Bronze getting forward on, on kind of that side and so I think that's why the midfield battle is going to be so essential because if you can stop Man City playing through those players They don't necessarily look to play like the kind of long balls that you might see perhaps from a Chelsea or an Arsenal um, more often. So I think that's going to be really interesting.
0: And another aspect that I find interesting is, is the way that Barcelona are playing at the moment is interchanging positions very fluidly during a match. So you do have Mariona, which is usually out on the left wing. You'll see her interchanging with Alexia Putellas, or you so you're see Patrick Guijaro end up on the wing. You have players like Licky Martins, Caroline graham Hansen, who are excellent at 1v1s, who have no problem taking on a 1v1, coming inside, staying in the midfield, and having a midfield or the fullbacks come up. So what I'm interested in seeing... Man City side kind of deal with these interchanging positions that I don't think they see in the WSL right now. I think the closest they'll get is Chelsea, but even Chelsea, they're they're not as fluent as, as you would see Barcelona. And Abdullah, do you think, obviously, you know, you saw Spain go up a, a US, both in the She Cup and the World Cup. And, you know, Spain did have most of the possession, but at the end of the day, the US won because they scored... Essentially, if you put it simply, Um, do you think something similar might happen here where where Barcelona can have the better game of the day and Mad City are just going to be clinical?
2: Absolutely. Like you said, golds win games. Um at the end, I mean styles do dictate how you how you play on the pitch, but at the end of the day, golds win games. And, and and there have been teams over the years that have been testament to that, you know, to that fact. And I, I do think so. I think I think it'll be it'll come down to the the clinical finishing, the chances that both teams have, and whatever ch- I, here's the thing. I think it's gonna be an entertaining game. I don't think there are gonna be as many chances to score as as people think. I think there it'll be a limited number of chances of maybe you know, two, three Per side and I think within those two three chances you're going to have to put it away and it's whoever's most clinical when they get to the final third you know is going to come out on top and I think for Man City I just wanted to add I think they're the way they, they play in transition when they win the ball back and how they get the ball up to the final third is going to be absolutely key because like you said they don't get in the WSL they're the ones with the ball most of the time so they don't they're not used to exactly playing without the ball as much as you know as much as other teams um, and obviously we know about they are gonna play their natural game and they're gonna be able to, you know, put that up on the pitch better just because of naturally that's how they play and they want the ball they don't want to get the ball away they want it i think that that transition from from defense to midfield and midfield to attack is going to be key uh and you know in and but and saying that i think you might we might even see georgia stanway play as a false nine instead of ellen white just so that she can drop into midfield add in that extra you know fourth body in there and kind of give that almost give that little bit of element of extra better bit of passing accuracy intricacy just to kind of complement your caroline weirs sam Mewises and all that so that you know, Ellen White's great, good target, you know, t- target man, hold up player, can 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 finish. But maybe you want that false line so the centre-backs don't actually have a static target to go off and then she can also run in behind, drop in. I think that could be a, a tactical switch that, that comes through.
0: I think Alexia Potillas is going to be Possibly Barcelona's most important player when it comes to this game, because I think I see her. I mean, I am, I absolutely love watching her play. I think she is kind of a composer on the pitch. Not only is she the captain of Barcelona, but she has. This she has a presence on the pitch where you kind of just do everything around her, but not it's not in a, in a very like ugly kind of, you know, I'm better than all of you way. She she does. She genuinely loves the club and she wants to see this club, you know, doing its best. And I think that Leon final final really hurt them. I think in every interview after that, they're like, our goal right now is to win the Champions League. That's all that they have been wanting to do since that game finished. And I think that passion is going to be shown against manchester city and and perhaps manchester city don't have that you know the champions league is important for them but at the same time they are in a big title race against chelsea at the moment so where their emotions lie that might um obviously it's not going to be as important as the football itself but just a, a food for thought and also yeah alexia Poteas is going to be important and keeping everybody grounded and make sure that they're they're playing their game against manchester city which can be very intimidating when you have Sam Mios, when you have Ellen White, when you have Lauren Help, Chloe Kelly, they're at the top of the game. But as Jesse mentioned also, I think Man City at the moment, I think they're young enough that an experienced Barcelona side can easily shut them down if they do it smartly. Now, Jesse, what players do you think are going to be the most important to take them out of the game?
1: Well, I think someone who'll be, it be really interesting to see how Barcelona deal with will obviously be Lucy Bronze because... You know, you've got this like Leon history and then Lucy Bronze. When you're talking about players at Man City who you feel like probably really want this, she's the one I think of, you know, and she can do so much with the ball and she can drop into those spaces where if you're looking to mark out the midfield, she can move into that central area or she can... Looked to overlap, you know, normally Chloe Kelly playing on that right wing. So I think her threat will be really essential for Barcelona to focus on because I think she's got it all. You know, she's got the Champions League experience. She's got that ability to just move across the pitch and and make things happen, you know. We, we've seen it for England. Like, if she wants to make it to the edge of the area and shoot, she will. So I think that that's going to be really key for Barcelona to focus on.
0: And Abdullah, who will be... Barcelona's player to stop. I'm going to go ahead and say mine because I think Mariona is Barcelona's best player at the moment, aside from Alexia Putellas. Mariona can do everything. She is that winger who will cut in. She'll do 1v1s. She'll do crosses. She'll score. Um. So I think that's going to be really crucial for, for Man City to kind of keep an eye on her. Abdullah, who's your player to watch?
2: I totally agree with the two. I mean, the, if you've kind of just kind of touched on both the Mariona and, uh, and Alexia Putellas. And if I, okay, so I want to say Alexia Putellas, but... I'm actually going to go ahead and say the wing twins the, in, in Caroline Grahamson, Leakey Martins, I think those two coming up against those two fullbacks, like you said, like you touched upon earlier, they love going to 1v1s and they love supplying. They're like, you know, they're the ones supplying Jenny Armoso, you know, the the end product, the final ball, you know, you just you just put it in and they even did score themselves. Both of them are tricky wingers. They love getting on the front foot and they, they put fullbacks under so much pressure. So I think that battle on the wings for those two players, it's going to be super important. I think that's going to be key for Manchester City from a defensive point of view to stop both of them going forward. And I think if they can stop that, it gives, you know, Alexey Putellas and the rest of the midfield a little bit of a a question to, OK, who do we supply now if our two main, you know, wingers are, are, are block, you know, are marked off and they're not getting the service that they're supposed to. They need to come up with a plan B. So I think that battle on the you know wings i know i've said two players but i think both of them will be uh, will be key
1: i think what's so exciting is even abdulay talking about this like what you've just said could literally be said about man city you know that's <laughs> know. also fascinating about these two teams meeting because When you think about Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemp, it's almost exactly as you've just described. And then, you know, with Jenny Hemosa or Ellen White, you've got these like very technically gifted players, but who who also, you know, offer that kind of physical presence in a box. So I think it's going to be really
0: interesting. It's I'm so excited for this. It's not even okay. like you said, you know, you have Leakey Martins, but then you have Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, who are playing the best football at the moment. Caroline Gronhansen, Hansen, Mariona, Jenny Hermoso. You know, Jenny Hermoso would go up directly against Ellen White. Ellen White has more experience, and I think Ellen White is more of a clinical finisher than Jenny Hermoso. But... Jenny and is a more all-around player than Ellen White is. You know, you have these matchups, and there it's absolutely anyway. We're gonna move on because we can probably talk about this for the entire pod if we wanted to. Um, but we're gonna move on to the other English team that is still in the Champions League, and that is, of course, Chelsea, who will be going up against Wolfsburg, and Pernil Harder gets to be reunited with Wolfsburg since they lost last year's Champions League final 3-1 to Lyon. Now, Wolfsburg aren't what they once were. They've won the, the league. Since 2016, and it seems like this year is going to be the first time that they will lose the league to Bayern Munich um, since then. So that's five years in total that Wolfsburg have been dominant in Germany. Now, you know Chelsea are obviously they've Emma Hayes has built this project with the Champions League in mind, and we mentioned it in, in a couple times in the in the previous pods that. This team right now is for the Champions League. You know, Pernier Harder, Sam Kurt, they're all recruited for the Champions League. And obviously, subsequently, they're good enough to play in the WSL. Chelsea proved that in the first leg, especially against Atletico Madrid, when they were playing a man down and it just, it looked like they were a man up. I don't know how, you know, that happened. It was just, it was incredible to watch. And Atletico, you know, just couldn't keep up even though the second second leg um, was tied 1-1. It just, it was absolutely Chelsea dominant. And um, it's, it's kind of a tip of the hat. You know, it's, that's not really a saying, is it? It's kind of, it, it just shows, I a saying. <laughs> it's a thing now, trademarked by Alex. You know, it, it shows over these two legs over Atletico Madrid, the kind of team that they are and the kind of what they want to do with the Champions League and it's very evident that they are ready but they are going against a Wolfsburg side who have been at the top of women's football for so long now and it's not going to be easy even if they are are not at the at the top of the game it's just as simple as that you know Wolfsburg have undoubtedly more experience than Chelsea when it comes to these European games and you know, Jesse, let's get your thoughts as a Chelsea fan. I know you're not feeling too confident about this one as, as perhaps maybe a lot of other people would be. What are your thoughts about this?
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, for a start, it's got narrative all over it. There's the there's the Chelsea's history of Wolfsburg, there's Peniela Harder going back to her old club. But I think for me, you know, I can know that Wolfsburg aren't the team they were, but Honestly, I was at the game when Chelsea lost 3-0 to them in October 2016, 16 17, Champions League. And I had just never seen a women's football team who were just so, like, literally and technically head and shoulders above Chelsea. Like, they were all, like, huge. And I was like, no, like, Chelsea couldn't get anywhere near them. So I think when you've got that memory... In your head Even though these are Two very different sides
0: You're very (laughs) traumatised
1: I am (laughs) traumatised I know it was five years ago But it was traumatic And you know I think the second leg Against Atletico Showed that Chelsea Can be got at I think they could be got at more easily because they were missing Magda Eriksson. And I think in the second leg, you saw even more what a big miss that was. I think, as much because Millie Bright had to play as the left sided centre back, and you lost a lot of how Chelsea liked to build up. With Millie Bright on the ball And like the kind of Different styles she offers them When they're building from the back But you know This is like a Wolfsburg team Massively in flux They've basically announced Well they announced in September That their manager was leaving So they've appointed a new manager But he doesn't start till next season They've got a whole new backroom staff They've got players not extending contracts So it just feels like For this Wolfsburg side They're just in this weird limbo And on the one hand you think oh well you know maybe this is like your last hurrah as this team but it just doesn't feel like they've got that you know oomph behind them it feels more like everyone's just waiting for this new like rebuild to begin because that's obviously what the club's going to end up doing so I think it'll be really interesting they've got um Eva Pajor back a Polish striker who's like bangs in goals for fun and they've basically she's not played well she came back for them last weekend but hadn't played for them since the since the Champions League final so you know I do think that they they've got players coming back they they will still be a threat but I don't know I'm so traumatized by before <laughs> I just can't can't I can't us. bring myself to say to say I don't know uh, yeah
0: I, can't I, I think that says that I think that says everything about this tie because you know as I mentioned earlier you know Wolfsburg have been at the forefront of women's football for the longest time and they've always been the powerhouse to reckon with. It's it's not like, you know, there there was Lyon, but there's always been Wolfsburg and they've consistently been at the top of their game in Germany. And for the first time in a lot of years, you're, you're able to say that Bayern Munich are doing better than them, that they are very beatable. It is true that in the second leg against Atletico Madrid, in that 1-1 draw, you saw a lot of weaknesses. And it is true that a no Magda Eriksson Chelsea is a... It's a very different team than when Magna Eriksson is on the pitch. And I found that really interesting because you, you really saw, you just, you you saw the impacts that, you know, you had Maren Melday as a centre-back. It's not the same. Millie Bright wasn't as efficient as she usually is. It's a domino effect going forward after that. So Abdullah, you know, Wolfsburg, we keep saying Wolfsburg. And, you know, as Jesse mentioned, there is perhaps something happening at the club. You know, when you have Ingrid Egan and Fironilla Rolfo, who is an absolutely amazing striker, who bluntly say that they're not, you know, renewing with the club. That says something, you know, when the whole backroom staff, when it's awkward, when you have, they made a few signings last year um, that don't start until next year. It's been, it's been a transition for them at the moment. That's just really awkward and no one really knows what's happening. But I think it might be... Affecting their play And you kind of see it on the pitch Abdullah, what are your thoughts about that?
2: A hundred percent I think it's They're in like this weird Like they knew They were going to go into transition But they almost it, It just kind of almost got delayed To like the middle of the season And now everyone's like actually you know what we are actually we're in transition we we're losing half our squad you know in some sense we've we our backroom staff's gone we have a new manager coming in next next you know it's almost like all of this should have been and I know obviously because of the delayed starts and you know the pandemic and everything in the summer was a bit weird but all of this should have kind of just happened in the summer if if if, I'm sure Ingrid Engine and Rolfo would have known that they're not going to extend. They had one. They had one year left on their on their contract. It's 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 a weird one where they should have just been sold in the summer and they should have had replacements come in. Then they. they I don't think Wolfsburg. I think Wolfsburg should have been this hard in the sense going. Well, you've got. We got a year left. We don't want to lose you on your free. We're, we've lost Penela Hada. Our manager's leaving. We need to rebuild at least to some extent plan now rather than wait till your decision six months down the line. What's and extra think-
1: weird as well is because obviously Panila Harder was originally gonna leave this year also on a free until yeah. Chelsea offered the money so it's almost like like what you're saying is like that they've known about this for ages and I don't know maybe they just thought that they were gonna have Peniela Harder for one more season so and that would be fine like she would just score them to a million
0: wits yeah but. I think they under once she left I think they underestimated how hard it was gonna be on them that she left I think they were gonna be like oh we still have I mean they do have an incredibly you know talented squad and and I think most of us didn't think it was going to affect them that much, but the reality is is that it did. And since Pranil Harder left, you know, they've been on a downfall since – um, so it's definitely interesting on that bit.
2: They know it is. I mean, it's right. I'm going to throw a quick stat at you this year. They've had three point. They've averaged three, 3.05 goals, um, you know, per you know, this season. And they've had an XG of 3.03. If I go back to last year and I'll be at this is the full last year, they were at 4.14 goals. For the season, you know, per ninety, and they had an XG of three point six seven, so totally outplaying their XG. So they've lost almost one one average goal for the season, and you you can you can literally put that down to the fact that Pernilla Hada is gone. So they've lost a huge source of goals, a huge source of even the XG has gone down. So I mean, if you look if you look at it, you're like Pernilla Hada. I mean, you look at her movement, you look at look at look at the way she's playing. As a number 10 for Chelsea, her move, when she's there and she's not there, you can see a difference in the movement, the way the players move. And I think it's her introduction this season that has seen Chelsea start playing a little bit more of that positional rotations that Alex you talked about earlier they didn't have it in 2019 when they won the title they played a standard 4-4-2 kind of everybody knew their roles and they just dominated but I think the introduction of Penelope Pernilla- Hada has not only changed the system to a 4-2-3-1 I think that's kind of molded them to go okay she's such a versatile player in terms of her movement She she's not a tactically disciplined in the sense she's not going to sit in a position and I think that's the effect that she had on Wolfsburg and now that they've lost this, this key player and I think her leaving as well has caused the other players to go well we've lost the best player what are we going to do here we don't want to wait for the rebuild almost we're just going to go ahead, you know, and I think that's going to be the ultimate downfall for, for Wolfsburg.
0: And on a random note of Wolfsburg, I thought what was really interesting was the signing of Shanice van der Sanden from Lyon. That was very random. And I thought to be fair, you know, Shanice van der Sanden still is an incredible player, probably not the player that she was in the 2017 Euros, for example, but she is an outstanding player. And coming from Lyon, you know, she was being benched more often because they have, they've recruited a lot younger than, than what they had. And, you know, Shanice van Sanden is a big player to have a very advantage player to have. And and perhaps a lot of people thought that that was maybe the, the big name switch of Pernille Harder and Shanice van Sanden. But Jesse, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that transfer because I thought it was really random and very interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I think also it kind of, On the face of it, as you say, Shanice van der Sanden is a great player, but it does kind of feel it's more like was a great player now. And it was just a strange one because, you know, as you said, Alex, like Wolfsburg have been you know, massively important and big within the women's game. And then it just felt like they were taking Leon's like discarded players to replace their big names. And I don't know, I think they've just got... I think the Penela Harder transfer, when Chelsea came in and offered the money, I think they thought they couldn't turn it down because it was more money than had ever been offered for a women's footballer. So why would you turn it down? But I just get the impression that that's destabilized interpersonal relationships as much as on the field stuff as well. And, you know, I think the other thing when, yeah, when we talk about Vanila Harder is how much like defensive work she does within a team too. Um, And I just wonder if again, they thought, oh, it's fine, you know, we'll still score a load of goals because they've got lots of good strikers. But maybe is that just a little bit extra that Harder offers that you can't just boil it down to being like, we'll find her goals somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I think that sums it up quite neatly. And now let's get to the hard question. Who do we think is going to go through? I'm going to go ahead and say Chelsea because I do think that you know, especially pernial Harder is going to be a big part of that because, you know, as Abdullah mentioned, I think the way that they have her playing as a 10 at the moment gives Chelsea so much advantage on that attack. I think it brings out some of the best plays in Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr and Bethany England. I think that's going to be the pivotal part as well as, you know, Melanie Lopos, she's played against Wolfsburg for most of her career and she's going to have no problem going up against these players again. So I think Chelsea will go ahead. You know, it won't be easy, and I doubt it will be pretty. But I do think they will go ahead. Jesse, you're going to go last because you can have some time to think about it. Abdullah, what do you think? Uh,
2: I think I think it's. I mean, as a as a, as a long-standing 21-year Chelsea fan, you know, you know, for, at least from the men's side, I've, I've just taken into the women's as well. Ah, it's gotta be Chelsea. I mean, the way they're playing, the squad they've assembled, the team they have, the form that they're in, and then the way they came out of that Atletico game. I think without Magden, they showed the, the grit, the heart to be able to do it against a tough opposition. You know, even when they when they had their captain, you know, out. I think Chelsea will go through. And not to not to mention. Sarah bjork Daughter also was, was sold just before the Champions League final to Lyon. So that, that also, I think, kind of screwed things over for, for Wolfsburg. So that's just another transfer that I just remembered now that that kind of caused some issues.
0: All right, Jesse, here's the big question for you. Will Chelsea go through to the semifinals?
1: I was listening to a podcast the other day and Karen Carney was on it and she was talking about when Chelsea played Lyon in the, the semi-finals two years ago. And she said it was only in the second leg that we real, Chelsea realised as a side that we could beat Lyon and they weren't far away from us. And as soon as we realised that, we started playing so much better. And if we'd realised it earlier, maybe we would have won. And I think that really neatly encapsulated something Emma Hayes has spoken about which is that she thinks that her side two or three years ago wouldn't have come through that Atletico tie and I agree but now I think we're on the Emma Hayes revenge tour and I think this Chelsea side she has like filled them with confidence and she has filled them with players who believe in themselves so I I will back Chelsea I think Chelsea will get through this So
0: moving on Lyon-PSG, most likely that's going to happen because PSG still have the second leg against Sparta-Praja, but at the moment they have a 5-0 lead and they do play that midweek on Wednesday, March 17. So it is most likely going to be Lyon versus PSG dot, dot, dot again. PSG have to be the most, the unluckiest team at the moment in this draw to have to draw Lyon yet again for a second time in a row. And considering everything that's happening in the league, you know, Today, we were supposed to watch Lyon-PSG in the league. Probably the most awaited match since Christmas break. And PSG got three positive cases in the squad and the game had to be postponed. So now we have to wait even more for that. Do you, you know, obviously we're, we're going to talk about this as if it will be PSG-Lyon in the quarterfinal. Because I think Sparta-Plaka do have a very slim chance of coming back from a 5-0 deficit it is gonna be very unlikely and it will take a miracle. Although you know, it is football. Anything can happen. But for the moment, we will we will talk about a quarterfinal of Lyon PSG. You know, it's it's I can't even say how long I've been waiting for this match to happen. It's just it feels so historic. It feels like you're watching something that's gonna be talked about like 20 years from now. And I mean, Jesse, we're going to go to you first. Do you think the postponement of this game will impact the Champions League draw?
1: A hundred percent. Because before, when the draw was made, before the, the league game was postponed, my hunch was that PSG would edge it in the league and would then lose in the Champions League kind of with the league wraps up for them. But now, well, for a start, it just feels like the bad blood between these two sides has like hit boiling point. I really enjoyed Sarah buhardi just tweeting yesterday, could literally like what to say, um, because I think Leon are not happy that this game was called off.
0: It, it's so, entirely unlikely. That <laughs> I, I just, I can imagine the mood in Lyon right now, that the fact that this had to be postponed because of positive cases in PSG. Looking it's not like a dressing
1: very... room you want to be in. Yeah. No. So I think that's going to like add so much. If it was even possible to add more intensity to this game, it's going to be there. I thought PSG looked amazing against Sparta Prague. I was really impressed between, in particular, the link up between Sandy Baltimore, Mario Antoinette Cototo. I do wonder if, you know, games between these two have been really, really tight, but I feel like a double-legged tie might just give Leon that edge just because of the depth of quality that I feel like they have you know in PSG's league win earlier in the season PSG kind of scored and were then like able to hang on for the 60 or so minutes I think it was for the rest of the game but I just think over a two-legged tie it, you know, obviously it's double the length of time. You're not going to have that same ability necessarily just to like sit back, sit back, sit back and hope for the best. But at the same time, you know, I think PSG looks so good going forward. And I feel like what's really been Leon's undoing recently is it really feels like their defense always has a mistake in them. And you know, that something like two years ago, you just like wouldn't come across, you know, if teams were going to like somehow beat Lyon like they were going to have to like push to do it whereas it now it feels like that pressure I don't know maybe it's you know sometimes you get with teams you've been at the top for so long it's almost like you don't have that same like passion and burning desire to keep going on and on and that's where that kind of complacency and those errors come in but I think that's the worry for Lyon
0: yeah definitely and and you know we saw that in the round of 16 against Brandeby you know Lyon had they struggled to beat Brøndby, and for once I think we all thought that perhaps you know a small Danish team from you know the Danish league isn't as strong as a French league you know Brøndby, they're not a team that you, you you talk about often in the Women's Champions League but here they are you know within the first six minutes of the first tie you know Brøndby got hit the crossbar and you were like holy crap what is happening you know i to be cream, honest we it saw was, it
1: We saw it against Juve as well. There were moments in that round of 32 tie against Juve where you thought, oh my God, Juventus are going to do it. And if that had been, if I think either of those ties had been 90-minute ties, we could have seen a very different outcome. But again, I think just that those double-legged ties does give Leon an advantage. But, you know, maybe against a a better side, obviously that that advantage won't come through as much.
0: Yeah, I I definitely think that. And again, in the second tie against Bronvy, you know, Bronvy scored in the 11th minute and you were like again holy crap is this gonna happen and then Lyon eventually went on to win 3-1 that game but Abdullah as someone who knows Lyon quite well because you wrote a book about them Queens of Europe if you haven't pre-ordered that people will get on that real quick you wrote an entire book about them You know, you went from the glory stages to, you know, kind of going through them and and what they are now, which obviously isn't as good as they were before. What do you think? Are they going to win this? Do you think PSG have boiling blood that is going to make them better in over two ties? And I do agree with Jesse that two ties gives Lyon such a huge advantage. And I think I do agree that within 90 minutes game, it might be different, but over two ties, a Lyon team as strong and as experienced as they are, is really hard to beat. But what do you think of this, Abdullah?
2: Okay, where do I start is the question. (laughs) Um, Okay, I think, obviously, this season hasn't been the best for Leon. They have been on this kind of like a... I don't even want to say downward spiral because they've still been winning games. So I, and I know that when we say teams that are able to win games the, while they're not playing well are almost championship material, but I think it's been going on a little bit too long with Lyon. And I think we started seeing this towards the end, back end of the, like basically this time last year in terms of the Champions League, where Bayern Munich pushed them far. Bayern Munich could have won that game, but Lyon got through. They did well. The PSG game was a, was a slim win, but they managed to get through. And then obviously in Wolfsburg for 45 minutes, you kind of thought, can Wolfsburg kind of do this? Like I was, you know, I was watching that a little bit worried, going, are Wolfsburg actually going to win this? And then you just saw in the second forty-five they turned it on. But then you've got a, but then you come into this season, you think, okay, cool, they've put that out of their system. They're going to continue and they're going to go back to to who Lyon are. There's, there's, there was a slight sense of this could be a transition season, you know, with Lucy Bronze leaving, Alex Greenwood leaving, kind of players, kind of you know, going, okay, we're coming towards the end of our contracts. You, you know, you had uh, at the beginning of the season you had Amadine Henry. Saki Kumagai, Ada Hegerberg, and uh, two or more players' names that escape me. Their contracts are coming out, you know, coming off, and you're like, you don't know whether they're going to renew or not. Players, you know, could have been thinking, we're done with our cycle. Should we move on? Should we not? Bronze decided, I'm going to go back to England. Greenwood was like, okay, I'm off. And then you kind of get to this point. You're like. You know, PSG won. Like, like we said, PSG won that first game, and it was it it, it was something that you know that, that was coming almost just because of the way they were playing. I think Lyon are at that point right now where they're due a performance. They're so overdue a performance, and I think because they've been playing against team, you know, quote unquote lesser teams, this I think they may this may just be their coming out party for the season. And I think if they can make, give us get a stay, and I think again, like you said. The game being postponed, huge disappointment because I think they were fired up. I think that the bad blood you were talking about between the two teams is huge. I think both of them would have been really wanting this game to go. And I was reading a tweet from a from a Lyon, a super Lyon fan, and she she's, you know she pretty much knows what's going on. The Ariana Scavetti, shout out to her. She was basically saying that the, the tensions are rising even more about this because. Obviously, PSG knew about the COVID issues last night, and I'm quoting her tweet. She goes, but during today's press conference, the PSG manager said that the whole squad was good to go. And and league rules state that you need four, apparently you need four positive cases to call off a game, whereas they only had three. So, you know, Lyon are really angry at PSG for the whole situation. So I think that just adds fuel to the fire for when they do eventually play this this tie. And I think that will raise the games, uh, that'll raise Lyon's game automatically. I think just... They'll, they'll. Sh- I think they'll show up for this game just because they'll be like, "This is PSG. Look what happened in the league. We can't lose to them." Although having said that, I think this is PSG's best chance to get a result against Lyon at a time when Lyon aren't playing their best game. Their players aren't from. Katoto is just, I think, the best under-23 striker on the planet right now. There's no doubt. She just scores 20, 25-plus goals for the last three or four seasons straight. Uh, who, tell me which striker under the age of 23 is doing that regularly. That's I don't think you even play. need to
1: add in under 23. Just in I, general. I, yeah,
2: I think fine. just in I mean, general. She's yeah, just in numbers. general. I mean, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Just in general, do you see any other player scoring that cons- – I don't think there's been a consistent striker – only Ada Hagerberg, and obviously she's been injured for the last season and a half, but that's Ada Hagerberg level of goals and performances. And I think she's gonna be dangerous. And kind of coming to the point that Jesse made about the defense, I think that's come down to one thing. And that one thing is Griegen Bok's injury. The long-term injury that Gree box has had has paid a huge price because they've had and then Bernard's been injured in between as well. They've not had that consistency in in at the back. They've had to switch up their defensive partnerships. Buchanan had a great six to eight months. There was a period three, four months ago where she lost form. They've had to play Saki Kumagai at the back. It's just been a total nightmare for them defensively. And I think, like we've seen with the Liverpool men's team this season, you need your your best players at centre-back because that affects how you play in midfield and how you play up front. When you've had to juggle around defences... And I think that's a problem. And I think one other thing that I personally think, and this is probably going to be, a, this is a piece that I've written that's going to come out on Wable this week at some point or next week. I'm hoping so. Uh, we don't know the exact date yet. However, it's a between the left back choice where I think, and, and unfortunately, I, and I hope Selma is, is recovers quickly and it's not a very, very bad injury. I don't think we know what the extent of her injuries are right against Brown So, I mean, I, I think, and 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 I think we saw this a little bit in the in the Bronby games. I think Selma Selma is starting at left back. For me, I think she should be the starting left back just because she brings so much of a balance. And while she's not at the Lucy Bronze level, I think that she is a similar player to Lucy Bronze, where she brings a balance and in the fullback areas. And I think she's she's got that tactical mind that she can and she plays a similar role to to what Lucy did. And I think because Lucy had to go, they've had to change their tactics. When Lucy Bronze left, they've had to play more of a, a traditional up and down, you know, fullbacks going up and down. Whereas when Lucy played, she's almost like the Zhao Cancelo of, of Lyon. She would come into midfield, she would go outside, she would interchange with players, you'd have a defensive midfielder would come into right back, she would bump forward, go into midfield. And I think they're really missing that, you know, uh, this time. And I think this time it's been a little bit more predictable. That's why I think The combination of Amil Majri and Sakina Kershawi has been a little bit predictable. I think teams have figured that out at some point. So they just blocked them out on one side. And I think the wide areas are such key places for Lyon that shutting that down because of that predictability has been a problem. I think Ali Karpens is great but she's only 20, 19, 20 years old. She needs time to grow into it. So you've kind of replaced, you know, Majri and Bronze to some extent or even Greenwood and Bronze with two very young, or one very, I don't want to say limited, so is not limited, but she's very much an attacking fullback and kind of straight, I'm just going to go up, uh, out wide and cross. And you've got Carpenter, who's an excellent fullback. And I think she's going to be one of the best But that'll take three, four years of consistent play. And I think that is where I think PSG, that whole backline has just changed. So that's been a huge problem for them. And I think that's the corrupt source of the issue. I'm going to stop nor I'm going to go on forever and ever and ever.
1: Abdullah, I wanted to ask, how much do you think the purchase of rain and the rumours around Marjan and Buhari going over there? Do you think, you know, when we're talking about Wolfsburg, like being in this transition having all these distractions, do you think that's something that's affecting Leon as well? To
2: some extent, I would say yes. But at the same time, we've got to remember when Bohadi and Marajan, at least with those who specifically, when they renewed their contracts last season, it was built into their contracts. So the squad knew that at some point in the next couple of years, those two you know, two of them would be leaving. And when Olas came out and said, you know, two of three players will be going to rain this summer regardless. To some extent, I think the players I think they know they're in transition. And I think they've kind of you know but, but then the thing is at the same time they've also seen that people like Ada Hegerberg has signed, you know, a new long-term deal. Amadeen Henri has signed a long-term deal. You know, and I think they've got Sarah Bjorkünstotter who came in last season, you know, big purchase. I think she's a really, really good player. I think Marjan and maybe Buhadi leaving. I think the squad, I think because it was made clear to the squad when those two signed their contract, I'm sure they would have told the squad at that time, look, we've signed it, but in the next couple of years we could be going to reign and because we want we want to go out and we want to do things over there. So I think it it was more known, and I think uh, and I and I and, I'm, and I've done another piece that that should be coming out soon as well as on Leon's recruitment strategy. And I think while I think while I think the club knew and the players knew. I think they could have better prepared in the summer to maybe replace, to add a bit more to the squad depth and kind of forward plan this departure of, of Marajan. And maybe Bahadi, to an extent, they've got uh, Lola Gallardo who came from Spain last season and she's kind of been on the bench. So she's been acclimatizing for a year. So maybe to an extent for Bahadi, they've done it. But I think for Marajan, I really feel like they should have gotten another number 10 because you know, the squad knows that she's going to go on the next year you've seen that they've just kind of struggled with injuries this year, because if you look at it in the last couple of years, Leon haven't struggled with injuries. So that squad depth has been an issue. And I think when you're, and just to answer your question, when you're winning, I don't think there's an issue. You know, I think people are like, right, we're winning. We can't really say anything. Harmony's there. It's when you start losing and then when all these thoughts coming in. So, yeah, maybe, maybe it has affected them, you know, but I think we'll find out after the PSG game again, because if they don't perform, then you can really you can really go on a whole host of reasons as to why off the field on the field as to, as they're not why they've not performed well and I think recruitment, the contract situations, all that put together, I think could have played a part. But if they win, then really they can everyone can turn around and be like, well, this is the Leon we were expecting. they finally came out when it really mattered, which is what you know which is what matters. So uh, you know we move on.
0: Yeah, it is very interesting to see the recruitment of, of Lyon, especially in the recent months, you know, with Katarina Macario and Damaris El You know, they are both very, very young and play in those. You know, Damaris played she plays more in the sixth position, so so perhaps would would probably see a replacement of Amandine Henry, maybe push up Amandine Henry as you see her on the national team a little bit. Perhaps maybe get her acclimatized to that. And Caterina Macario. They've been using her as a striker more, but she does play midfield as well. So it is kind of interesting. But again, we will move on because we can't, again, talk about this forever. I think next time we'll just have a pod episode for each lineup at this point. But I do want to shout out Marie-Antoinette Katoto and Diani and Sandy Baltimore in PSG because that trio is absolutely killing it. Katoto has 17 goals this season. She's second in the league. I will shout out to Kadisha Shaw, from Bordeaux because she does have 19 goals and she's absolutely killing it this season. But Gatoto has won top goal scorer of the French League for two years in a row now. Diani, underrated player, both on the French national team and PSG. She has 12 goals and nine assists so far. So, you know, the attacking players in PSG right now are killing it. There's just, there's there's no denying that. Against Braja. You know, there's two identical goals. Sandy Baltimore got in the cross, Gatozo got the head on it, and that was the two opening goals of the game, just like that. So I do think it would be really interesting for these players to go up against a Lyon defense, as Abdullah mentioned, that aren't at their best, that they're not molded. There are young players, and this matchup is just going to be absolutely amazing, both on the tactical, on the player individual efforts, but because of all the drama that surrounds this match, it's ridiculous. It's just... It's everything that you want to see. But we'll move on to the last quarterfinal tie, which is Bayern Munich and Rosengard. Bayern Munich are another team who are killing it. I mean, I feel like I'm saying that for every single team that we've talked about. Bayern Munich are clear at the top of the Bundesliga and they're winning. Well, they're on their way to win the Bundesliga. For the first time, it's been six years. It's big. It's, you know, Wolfsburg have been on that title winning side for forever. And now Bayern Munich are 15 games undefeated in the league. And they have beat Wolfsburg earlier in the season. And what I think is most interesting about Bayern Munich is their attack. They have scored 19 goals in the last three league matches, conceding just two. They won the round of 16 tie over Big 9-1. With eight different goal scorers, you know, you usually have that one striker, you have your strikers that score, your wingers that score, but having eight different goal scorers in a 9-1 aggregate win, that says a lot about a team. And, you know, you have Sidney Lohman, Leo Schuller, Linda Dahlman, Carl Ball, all these players that I think aren't talked about as much as they probably should be, considering the form that they're in at the moment. Jesse, what does it say about Bayern Munich having eight different goal scorers in a 9-1 aggregate win?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I think it, it can say a couple of things. I think the key thing it probably says is that you can score lots of different types of goals. You know, Alex, you just talked about how in that PSG game against Sparta Bra, they basically scored two identical goals. You saw Barcelona do it against Fortuna Huron the other week. They scored like three goals, all of which were the same. But I think if you've got all these different goal scorers, it shows that, your goals are coming from different places. And obviously that's really good because that means the team can't just look at you and say, okay, we're going to stop in the PSG example. We're just going to make sure we Sandy Baltimore does not cross into the box, or we're just going to make sure we've constantly got a defender on my next photo. And then those goals like dry up, you know, obviously PSG can score other goals, but like, just as an example, whereas if you've got eight different goal scorers, you're basically like, well, where do you start? Do you know what I mean? Like how you're constantly going to be one step behind as a defense when you're thinking about that side's attacking strategies, because they are showing you that they can score from many different areas and with many different players.
0: You know, Rosengard are a very strong side in the Swedish league. They are a very good side, but I, looking at it on going up against Bayern Munich, I mean, Bayern Munich are unstoppable and I think the only way that they're going to be stopped is with a stronger team individual talented team than Rosengard. I do think Rosengard is still going to play very well but I do think Bayern Munich will come up at the end of it and should they they would play either Chelsea or Wolfsburg. Now the three of us did predict that Chelsea are going to win against Wolfsburg so we'll, we'll stick to our predictions and we'll not uh, back out now. So should we see Bayern Munich against Chelsea in the semifinal. Abdullah, how important is it that Bayern Munich have these nine, eight different goal scorers when they're scoring? You know, it is going to be harder for Chelsea to defend against everybody. It's a different style of play. It's perhaps a bit more of aggressive style of play in terms of attack. And how important do you think this will be for Bayern Munich going forward when they start to play teams like Chelsea, like Barcelona, like Lyon?
2: Yeah, so and I think it's super important. I think just like like both of you said, it's 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 that they're not over reliant on a single source or two sources of goals. They've got you know they've got an ability to you know if if the going does get tough and say Chelsea you know stop their front three, they've got somebody from midfield to come in. They've got somebody from a set piece from a defender to come in to to score a goal. So the fact that these players are used to scoring goals from different areas of the pitch. So I mean you can't defend all areas of the pitch at all at all times. It's it's impossible. So having players who are able to score from different sides i think is hugely important i think this has been bayern munich's breakout season so we are now seeing the true bayern that that i think that i think has been coming and and if if we are if talking about the way wolfsburg and, and leon to an extent have managed the, you know the players leaving i think we got to look at bayern munich and say melanie is hugely influential in that midfield goes to Chelsea, but Bayern have just kind of seamlessly, you know, made that transition forward and kind of done it the best out of, out of all the teams that we've talked about. So I think, I think, I think they've done really well. If this was any other season, I think Rosengard had a better chance, but just the way Bayern are playing, I think, I think, I think Bayern, you know, it'll be a tough game, but I think Bayern will take it.
0: Yeah. I think the three of us can agree that, that Bayern Munich have a really good chance of beating this. Not because Rosengard are a bad team, that's far from saying that, but I, you know, Bayern Munich are just unstoppable at the moment. And it's really evident. But that is the end of our pod. And unfortunately for us, because I think we could continue to talk about this forever and ever. Um, But I hope you enjoyed this episode of Box Box Stubby Cell. You can follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so yet. Keep up to date with all episode information, when we're recording, what we're talking about. Check the description of the pod for our Twitter handles. So make sure you're following us. We'll see you on the next episode where we analyze and discuss the Continent Cup final between Chelsea and Bristol City and of course, all WSL midweek action. Bye everyone. Cheers, Bye.